Welcome back to the 136th edition of the Twin Geek Cast. I'm here with Stephen and marvelous Matt Farley, the Earl of Christmas, um, the star of uh, some of our favorite cult films, uh, Don't Let the River Be Skit You, Local Legends, many others. Um, the author of songs such as uh, Friday the 13th, Oh No, and 22,000 other songs. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt. It is an honor, and... Um... I am a fan of the show. I, I it's um, as soon as a new episode's up, I'm listening to it and I love it. Even if I don't know the movie you're talking about, uh, I still enjoy hearing you talk about it. And the 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 conversation veers around, and um, I, I I'm slowly feeling like I know you guys. Um, so keep oh. up the good work. Well, we appreciate you a lot, and uh, among uh, Colt filmmakers on the website and uh, stars of cult films and um, you're very appreciated within our community as well we have many people watching your movies now uh, which is really a wonderful thing um, I guess we should start with uh, how I first contacted you was what was I uh, watching local legends and uh, of course you've uh, broadcasted your phone number uh, irresponsibly or otherwise to like a whole mass of people consuming your work um, now of course I'm a big fan local legends and I love that we both have physical copies here to show for our, our interest in your work um, because we are dedicated to it and we are interested in spreading that message. Yeah, thank you. And I absolutely remember um, you uh, texting me and I subscribed to the, you, you mentioned the podcast and uh, I subscribed and I've been listening ever since, just desperately awaiting the moment you'd invite me on. So here we are. Um, I, I thought it was such a cool thing. I mean, you're, you're kind of putting yourself out there to uh, be contacted. So uh, that's led into this. And I think uh, a really fun thing where we're going back and forth, like Steven's just written a really great article on don't let the river beast get you. And um, you have more to say about that, Steve. Uh, it's cause, just cause it is just like the greatest movie. Like, like I had not even like put together in my head that it was the same person. I'd heard Kevin talk about local legend so much and it, and it sounded great. And he recommended it to a friend of ours in a raffle and kept telling me that I should watch it at some point. And then independently, another friend of mine, uh, Matt, and a friend of the show, Jack, um, who does the music for this, they just had this Riverbees film. They're like, we need to watch this. I'm like, what film is this? And annoyingly, I had to watch something else that evening with my partner. And they watched it and both just dropped these five-star reviews out of nowhere. I'm like, you need to watch this movie. I'm like, what? what is this movie? Um, and a friend coming around at the weekend, I was like, I've heard about this movie. Apparently, it's really good. I don't know anything about it. We are just going to watch it. And apparently, it's great. And me and this thankfully like-minded friend just sat down and watched the entirety of it. And I was just like, this movie speaks to me in some utterly bizarre way. And I just wanted to just like share it with everybody in the world and like wave it in face. Be like, this movie is so, so strange and so resonant and so imperfectly perfect in a way that, and then we, we watch so many movies and I don't know, like a certain like formulaicness or certain like, um, I feel like we're in a very, um, ironic um time period i know that dave foster wallace has written a lot about this in the past this idea of like that so much like postmodern art or so much art is so self-aware in quite a cynical way and it was so great to have something that was self-aware and knew what it was but didn't think that it was a joke that thought that it was adorable and loved its characters didn't want you to like laugh against its characters was in on the joke but you're laughing with it not at it and it's just such a wonderful film i just love it so much yeah, well, it's a it's a very fine line for sure, and um, because we definitely, I'm, I've seen many movies where they are kind of like parrot doing a parody of of what they think are bad movies, and and all the actors are purposely giving a bad performance, you know, and uh, 
it just gives me a bad feel. It just feels like, ugh. so, so, but we, we approached it like, w- like we love these bad movies and we have so much respect for the makers of these bad movies because it, we know how much work it is. And so like a lot of like people who don't make movies will just say, ah, that, that, that movie's bad. And I watch it and I'm like, I can't believe they got a camera this deep in the woods, you know, or just, or I can't believe the actors kept showing up because, you know, like this is amazing. And so, uh, so our, our approach was to obviously there's going to be problems with it. And like you said, uh, you know, perfectly imperfect. And that, that's a good way of putting it. It's like, we're not going to tell people to do a bad job. We're going to tell people to do the best you can. And, and in that, in having, you know, untrained actors trying their best and failing, that's, that's the sweet spot for us. And for me, I think I'm responding to that authenticity as well. And that uh, thing that I've always liked about micro budget movies, and especially when you're kind of forced into a situation with your friends making like movies in your backyard, I just think it's wonderful. It comes, it has to come from a place from lo- of love because I don't, I don't think there's another way to keep making this many movies and, and this much art. Um, if it's not just about the joy of the creation itself. Well, because yeah. I was linking back to what you were saying about your, your love of these movies. I was listening to um, your podcast, the Shock Marathons podcast. I listened to an early episode, um, Creature from Black Lake, I think the movie oh, yeah. is called. And yeah, just Pahu. the way that... Yes, exactly. That name is forever stuck in my brain. Of the way you talk about that main character, and just I don't, the way that you guys speak about these characters is like so much with why I love the movies that you make. Of you just like these like small town figures that are have larger than life quirks, but have a humanity that runs through them. That you're like the audience is going to love this guy, and they're going to be strange but wonderfully strange. But just the way that you talk about movies on podcast is just the way that um, me and my friends talk about those films. That I've got a group of friends that we watch just like supposed like trashy seventies eighties horror all the time. Those that I mentioned that. Um, interest rugby's to me and just like that sensibility of people that that get it that are not in that sense of like we're watching it where the joke is we're watching the film there is a sense of like the appreciation of what's going on here and this is a its own aesthetic its own genre of cinema and that coming across in your work is just the film most immediately appeals but then like now that i've watched so much more of your work it's just like there's so much more to it than I thought there would be of like the way that you've been playing in different genres. And obviously I haven't seen your new new movie yet because you're making apparently all the movies in the world. Um According to your podcast, you say you're making ten movies two, in the next five years. Yeah, we were. The goal is two a year, beginning with this year. So we've <laughs> we've reached our goal for year one, and we're starting to sweat a little bit. Like, man, why do we announce this? But um, but that's part of the thing. Like, in 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 order to be to complete a project, part of it, like, you have to feel the weight of the world on your shoulder and like feel like you're gonna let down. So. I, I set myself up for it by telling everyone I'm going to do it. Then I'm like, oh, no, uh, Stephen and Calvin will be let down if I don't follow through. So it, it motivates me. But I feel like I, I really, because I watched um, Heard She Got Married yesterday, which was expecting, um, and it is very much another like motor movie. It's very much like what I was expecting from you guys. But it was also so completely different in a way that it just... I really, really loved it and was expecting it to be like, oh, here's another film where I say is great and everyone else goes, what is this? But it, it just, it is very different to your work, um, but I think it has a lot of similarities. Um, I don't know, like, it, it reminded me more of Local Legends than the other stuff that you've done with um, with Charles Roxburgh. Um, mm-hmm. But why a film like this at this point? It, it really interests me, the different tone that you've taken with um, Heard You Got Married. Um. Uh, let's see uh why uh well i mean 
it's I, we've never felt like we only would ever make this like you know almost like our brand like our brand of movies is you know river beast slingshot cops uh manch vegas like this very specific thing but um in in part it, it's due to the necessity it you know like we especially when we were younger, it's like, how can we, we're not going to be able to sell like a contemplative drama when we're 28 years old, you know, just look, we look like some college kids pl playing dr like grown up sort of, you know what I mean? And so, um, but now we're a little older and it's like, all right, now we like look like uh, adults, I think. And maybe we can, uh, we can explore, you know, adult things and, 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 uh, and sell it, you know? Also, I, I think we're better, you know, we're better at, at, at the process, you know, like we've, we, we've streamlined the process. Uh, we, you know, we, we keep getting better and better equipment. Um, and, um, and it's, you know, for sure, you know, I mean, local legends was kind of like dipping my toes in, in that kind of thing. And, and just being like, Hey everyone, I'm not, a, just so you know, I'm not an idiot, you know, because like <laughs> a lot of people watch our movies and they're just like, Oh, those poor guys, those poor guys from <laughs> New England. What a shame, you know, like in like family, friends and family, like are embarrassed for us, you know, literally. <laughs> and we're like, we know, like we're, we're not dumb, I swear, you know? And so, um, uh, yeah. And hopefully this is only, uh, only the beginning. I mean, we started Metal Detector Maniac. We started filming it two years ago, and um, such a great name for a movie. I cannot get over ah, that. thank you. Well. Yeah, well, it, it's potentially misleading though because it's it's a comedy, <laughs> but it's it's not like a cartoonish, um, you know, sci-fi horror movie. It's it's a much more realistic situation uh, where we're going. You know, in the old movies, we went for the laughs by yeah. um, having people deliver awkward lines awkwardly you know whereas now we're trying you know with metal detector maniac the we play i play matt farley tom plays tom scalzo and we play a couple of musicians and so it's very very realistic and and it's it's funny but it's um it's funny you know it's hard to but it's much more realistically funny and so anyway basically you know i don't know we're over 40 years old now it's kind of like, uh, you know, when Woody Allen started making uh, Manhattan in any hall, you know, um, or, you know, just like, all right, time, let's, uh, we, we can't make monster movies forever. We, yeah. We'll still make some, but, you know, it's like, let's, oh, yeah. let's flex our literary muscles. <laughs> but, but it is still really funny, though. Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm underselling. I mean, again, film is brilliant. But like, Hedge Comrade is also very funny just because you guys are funny and like your performances are funny. And it's also that sense of now that, the expected audience because real realistically you're mostly getting the converted already that have followed you guys there's that sense of the familiarity with the actors and just seeing someone in a slightly different role or a slightly twist on that is just is satisfying but then like there is just a wit to it and i feel like the, the, even the casting in that film is really witty and what you do with it it's yeah it, i kevin mcgee as the um the detective i mean oh we were just every every line delivery. We were just like, "This is so good! Oh my god, this is so good!" He let the stubble grow a little bit too for the for the the filming, and it was perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, and and so yeah, we were definitely kind of playing with people's expectations a little bit, which it's it's embarrassing to say because I mean we're at the level where we basically know 
all of our fans, you know, on a first name basis. So, um, but even, even still we're, we are toying with their expectations and, um, you know, even to the point where there's a character named Tom Scalzo, but he, which is a friend of mine, but he's played by somebody else, you know, and it definitely had some people being like, are you and Tom? Okay. Are you guys still friends? Cause, uh, there's some tension in the, in the, in the script, but we are, we still get along great. There's that. I think everyone we talk to directly and all of your fans already there know about Motrin Media and what you're doing, but uh, what would be your overview for uh, new people? How do we get new people into your work? I think that's our overall goal. Um, well, I would just, just say like, um, you know how you used to make movies with your friends when you were 14 in the backyard? Like, we did too and we just never stopped you know like it, it, there comes a time where you're like i either have to go to hollywood or stop and we were just like no we're just going to keep doing it and um and it, it now is a great time to get on board because there's a, a you know a pretty big filmography for you to, to work your way through like we've been we've been making movies for 20 years and so you have 20 years worth of movies uh to, to sort through while we're making two a year. So get on board. I, I was I was listening to um, your most recent podcast, which is a, about uh, the new film. Well, not the new, new film, because again, you're making all the movies in the world. Um, but I mean, you, you made a point in that that really stuck with me. I want to like reach out on this podcast, the sense of like of, of supporting artists and supporting art, because so much of your podcast is looking back at these old films that now we're like, this film is great. Why wasn't this great at the time? Of like, you look at the reviews of old horror movies, um, like even things like The Thing. Actually, look look up reviews of like John Carpenter's The Thing, where it came out. It's getting slated. There's that sense of like, why why weren't people throwing money at it? And people now want to support and buy these like new boutique re-releases of these films, like myself included to give them what they deserve. But there are people now who are yourself who are making these things in the moment and like people are not willing to throw their money in that way when the things that were celebrated back then are being lauded. People are like, why didn't they give that money? It's like, these people are existing right now. Give them your money yeah. and buy their thing. I know, I know. But I think that's just the way of the world. You know, um, there's a certain like importance and gravitas that is given to things that came before us. And then just if something's happening now, you're just like, who are you? You, you bozos making your movies. Get out of here with your movies. Um, but, um, you know, luckily, it, you know, they say if you just hang around long enough, eventually um, you'll get some recognition. And uh, so we're, we're hanging around. Uh, we have no plans of stopping. Um, is it the same with your music? Is it, is it that you just don't want to stop? Um, was there a point at... 20,000 songs where you, where you looked at it and wondered what what the end is. Is there an end? <laughs> uh, no, you know, I mean, it's the music is much more profitable for me. Like okay. the music is my full-time job. Um, so that makes it a, a lot less painful when I'm sitting here for 12 hours straight singing inane um, comedy songs. <laughs> But some of them like, are very uh, good by the way some of these inane songs are very very charming yeah, thank you thank you your thank you songs to people recently <laughs> just like in, in random context i think very much annoying them but like i'm like thank you for this like why do you have a song for that i'm like i don't have a song for that however this guy there are twenty thousand of these i i sent them to my wife last night in like a in context situation she's like that okay that's enough so really i got everything i needed out of it honestly uh, I, 
I had a situation at work today. I work as a teacher and I was sat in the staff room and I had my laptop out and it kept like pinging with notifications. And they're like, can you mute your laptop, please? And I was like, fine. And when you mute the laptop on Windows 10, it comes up with like a, a preview of what you're listening to. And someone was like, <laughs> Stephen, why are you listening to Christmas songs? And I'm like, well, um, first of all, I'm listening to the same Christmas song 30 times catered to <laughs> modern foods. And they're like, so, sorry, what do you mean by that? I'm like, I, I do not have the words to explain. I'm sorry. It's very hard to explain. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I, it's one of those things. Um, people have to kind of find it on their own because it's very hard to convince them. Like you, when I say like I've written almost 23,000 songs, the, the, the tip of everyone's tongue is quality versus quantity. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> where'd you, yeah, no, no, you guys get it. But um, yeah. But, you know, and obviously not everyone of my songs is perfect, but there, it's a process. And like, I, I've, I've determined that writing 20 songs, the odds of writing one good song are higher if you write 20 songs. And maybe one of them will be good versus if you just work on that one song during the same amount of time. So that, that's what works for me. And then the, the strange thing is that the 19 that I thought were bad end up being more popular than the one that I thought was good anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter. And, and it's super freeing. Like, um, just, just, you know, like you don't, you don't have the weight of the world in your shoulders when you're like, whatever, then, uh, well, maybe the next song will be better. Who knows? So we, we try to do that with the movies, but I mean, movie making is, is a very different, uh, <laughs> very different situation. Cause it's just, there's so much involved in, coordinating people is obvious is that i'd say the toughest part you know just like every time we get like four or five actors in one location at the same time it's it's a, a miracle and so like you know and we, we don't pay them you know we we give them pizza and water yeah you know? maybe some <laughs> unsalted peanuts sometimes and um some fermented shark and luckily you know what was that some fermented shark as well. I've seen your Christmas parties. So. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Hakarl, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's real hard. But we do kind of have a, a similar hope for the movies that, um, you know, eventually we'll make enough of them that they'll kind of, uh, you know, at least pay for themselves. But, I mean, we are – we're losing big time in the movies uh, money-wise. I mean, it's, it's, it's ugly. We've stopped counting how much we spend on these things. I mean, uh, in the Spotify playlist, you have uh, what I think fascinated Stephen and I when we were discussing it going over some of these is that you have about uh, 80 artist profiles or so on the Spotify. Right. So uh, uh, more than anyone that I follow music wise, certainly, certainly far more songs than any of your favorite bands do. Um, so I, there's so much to dig through if you can't find anything there of, uh, of merit and uh and I, um, you know, like, uh, I wouldn't even say ironic value. I think it's very, very earnest. And I think we appreciate that. Yeah, well, that, and that's another thing for her. She got married. I, I um, I'd written an album called Mo 75 with the band, my friends, we call ourselves The Big Heist. And the, the loose, there, it was a loose concept album about parties in the woods, you know? And I was like, this album is brilliant. Nobody listens to it. I need to find another way to explain to the world how good this is. And so then it was like, incorporate this story, like, oh, great. I have like a ready-made story, except let's pick it up 20 years after the fact 
and just see where these characters from the album are today. And I can highlight, you know, like, I mean, the songs that I perform in that movie are, uh, you know, I think are, are really good. And sometimes really you need good. to just get a person. Thank you. Get a person sitting down, committed to the movie as a way to like let the music wash over them. And I definitely know some people, especially the live performance of Heard She Got Married that, uh, you know, Chris and I do up there. I mean, so it's, it's delightful. It's, uh, uh, it's intense. It's intense. So much because it is just like the centerpiece of the movie, and, and you're right. Musically, it works so well because it's just a really good performance of a of a really good song. And there's that thing where you like you connect the dots, and be like, oh, that's the name of the movie. Terrific. But I just, I mean, I wrote my review about it, but, that, but like, it also plays this wonderful narrative moment in the movie, which I was so impressed by. The sense of it's you've got this whole thing going through the, the songwriter that you play, you play a songwriter because of course um, write songs based on their life and those things that are in their life starts to become the film. And like, you've seen your character interact with a few characters in the film who are played by the people that you expect to be played by because yeah, one of those movies. And then yeah. what that song reveals about your relationship with a character, you're like, Oh, that's that dynamic. And the ending of the film, which is wonderfully ambiguous, but I have theories about, and I like this idea that it gives you theories about like, Oh, but that song implied that. And there was that letter earlier. And wait a minute, this guy, this this guy, I don't know about this guy. And <laughs> the way that you have this really lovely, like subtle narrative point, which is the crux of the movie, which is told for a song. And like, I actually really wanted to ask, like, what were your inspirations for this film? Because like when I'm writing about it, I was like, well, I was this, 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 this. And they were really different things. And I don't know if those were the things. So I want to know what, what um, you were channeling or what was channeling you. Yeah, well, well, I mean, one thing we thought a lot about was uh, Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, both of those. Uh, Strangers on, on a Train in that it had like the, the two characters, you know, in Strangers on a Train kind of mirror my character and the Van character who's played by Chris Peterson, but we call him Pete. Yeah. He is so good in that movie. It's like, it's that perfect <laughs> thing of, is unbelievably creepy but in a way that you could never explain to someone because he just seems yeah. really nice but you're like you are like too nice i was reading a, like a let's watch review they were like this character in any other matt Farley movie would be very very normal but just when he's, <laughs> he's just like the one slightly off-key character like there is something wrong with you and your homemade hot dogs and i, I don't yeah know. yeah i mean he did uh, such a good job i mean he, he's great um there's this i won't give things away but there's a scene where he has to scream near the end of the movie. And um, when we were filming that, I was like, that scream was too real. Like, <laughs> like it frightened me while we were, we were filming it. I'm like, man, you, you were really committing to uh, this performance in a great way, but like, you're frightening me. Um, and so yeah, Psycho, then we liked, uh, we liked, the other thing we liked about Psycho was that Hitchcock um, treated it like it was an episode of his um, TV show in the way he produced it like let's move fat like the way they move into a fat it's like a fast tightly run operation and so we can definitely um we definitely like that you know and and so we we applied it to to our movie you know like like i guess i don't you know i don't i think it looks beautiful but like there's a, a cheapness in a way that psycho is cheap and wonderful well, like, I, the, the cinematography is actually really, really good, um, like, which I can say, but I have an anecdote to, to give some more evidence as well. So like, I was watching it and like myself being very, very pretentious was like picking out the pretentious things it reminded me of. of it does that Ozu thing, which I just love, of, like, of, of the pillow shots, of the, you have the action, the characters talking, and then you have these like ambient moments of the surroundings. And it, like, it so frequently cuts to like graffiti or detritus or broken things. And just like, 
has this narrative purpose and just the purpose of just being beautiful. Um, and it, it rests on this wonderful scene at the end, which, I mean, this movie really reminded me of Hong Sang-soo's movies, which, again, sounds ridiculous, but I watched all of them recently, so they're very much on my mind. And even the poster looks like a Hong Sang-soo poster. Um, mm. It has this wonderful lingering shot at the end. And I was just sat upstairs watching on my computer. My, my partner came to sit next to me, and she was like, what is this? This is beautiful. I'm like, yeah, no, it really, really is. Um, yeah. And she points out the graffiti, and because my partner is doing a PhD at the moment, um, which is focusing on graffiti at heritage sites. And she's spoken quite a lot about graffiti in cinema and how cinema often gets graffiti wrong. And I was saying that this movie actually gets it though. So we had this conversation about it, like, because she's written so much about how graffiti is like people making like marks in time and these marks that resonate through time of that needs to create and how that can mm. be stigmatized. And, and your movies are that, that sense of like pejorativized, but they have that graffiti mentality of I need to make my mark and make something. And that this yeah. film was about the past impacting the present with like the black and white to show that of like the cuts, the creature, like this is a thing that happened in the past and it impacts the present, but it's so forgotten and how that like links the emotional arts of the film. And no one ever says that at any point, but it's there and it's beautiful. And it's not just like it's well photographed, but it knows what to capture in the frame to have thematic heft. It's, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. It was a little serendipitous too. the, um, that it says it's easy, uh, is at the cathedral. Um, you know, that was just there. We didn't, you know, we didn't write it. And I went back there just a few weeks ago and it had been painted over, you know? So like uh. we, we just happened to capture a, a very perfect timing um, for, for that, that, um, that little graffiti thing. And, and I, thank you. I love that closing shot. Charlie climbed up, you know, as high as he could on the mountain. And then he told me and Jay Mayo, all right, just walk that way and I'll call you on your cell phone when you've walked far enough. And so it, it, it felt, and you know, it, for us, like we oftentimes we don't have time for something like that, you know, like um, for a, like a four minute shot, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but because we weren't, because there weren't a lot of actors on screen at the same time, like that, that, act, that guy, Jay Mayo, like we know that he doesn't mind committing the time you know some people are like i'll be in your movie but i have 90 minutes you know versus mayo is like let's let's do this you know so we could bother to get get things uh looking good likewise in the basement when we're making when i'm making music with van like you know pete pete gets it and he's just like all right i'll just sit here until charlie is ready to hit record and um and it was worth it because uh, I'm yeah, I'm very happy with how it looks. All all that credit goes to Charlie, by the way, because I don't even know how to like I can barely press the record button <laughs> on the camera. Something about the graffiti thing reminding me of like Agnes Varda and um, Murmurs or like at Mural Murals, uh, which is like she's uh, filming the graffiti as it's being taken away, and about like placement in the streets and what we're talking about and how it gets there and how it lasts in that area. Um, well, I would say like a, your songs are very SEO optimized. Like a, there are things that I could say to uh, to a certain voice service I don't want to trigger right now, and she might say yeah. something back to me. Um, like the poop song, or uh, you know, I could I could tell her anything, and it and it might come up with something like that. Maybe uh maybe that's a path for the movies, like the letterbox search, very very specific. Uh, maybe maybe that's yeah. the way. Well, we thought when we made the Manch Vegas movie, it's called Monsters, Marriage and Murder in Manch Vegas. And Manch Vegas is the nickname, like the well-known nickname for Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and part of part of what I do with the music is like 
like don't don't cast a wide net you know go go for the uh a specific thing it's like everyone's making uh everyone makes love songs but not everyone makes songs about broccoli you know so um not everyone music nowadays (laughs) amen so the um the same thing with the movie it's like let's not make a movie that appeals to the world. Let's make a movie that might just appeal to the the residents of Manchester, New Hampshire. You know, um, if if ten percent of them watch the movie, that would be more than normally watch our movie. Uh, and it didn't work, by the way. No one no one watched it. <laughs> we even we ran ads um, at the local movie theater for six months. Um, that they, they'd have like before even the regular ad pre- trailers would start. They had like a slideshow kind of thing where like it would show like a dentist office, you know, like go to Dr. Livingston for your dental needs. And then a 15 second uh, little blurb would pop up for, for our movie, a movie made right here in Manchester, New Hampshire. That's right. It's got monsters, <laughs> marriage and murder, you know? And uh, that's you want. Um, title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it didn't quite work, but um, um, you know, it's a it's a definitely a, a slow process. Most people would have quit uh, way way before we did, but I mean, it's pretty cool at this point. And like, you know, re- I know it's embarrassing to to scour through Letterbox to read reviews of your own movie, but I do it a couple times a day, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just glad I'm so happy that people are getting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I spend all day on there reading about other people's movies. It can't be that bad yeah. to read about your own. Oh, it's great. With the Munch Vegas thing, I think, unfortunately, you did hit your target, but I think you got the wrong Manchester because myself and, and Jack Davenport mentioned earlier are Manchester residents, England, and we both love your movies. So nice. it seems that you've accidentally hit the wrong Manchester. You've gone for old yeah, well, you, Manchester. You hear about that happening sometimes where, you know, something gets big in another country before it can be accepted in, in its own. And we, Australia, Canada, and the UK have been... Um, pretty darn receptive i mean they're you know will sloan and, and justin de of the important cinema club and, yeah. and peter peter kaplowski uh who, who who curates a lot of uh film festivals those guys have been uh, you know i think that's how calvin found out about me right yeah i believe so i think it was through yeah. justin actually right so um you know that's in can you know we're appreciated a little bit more in canada and uh, in in, Aust- in Australia, they made a little uh, a documentary about my music, which is really cool. So oh, that's um, neat. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, it's a documentary YouTube. about. It's on it's YouTube. Called Le- yeah, it's called Lessons from a Middle Class Artist, and uh, it, it's great. It <laughs> follows uh, a guy from Australia who comes up here to learn the ways of um, novelty songwriting. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> I've got to see it. It's, yeah, that's, that, that sounds in line with one of our favorite movies of this year of Alien on stage of like these documentaries about these wonderful just like artistic pursuits of just supposedly amateur art for the sake of amateur art, which I, which again, I think is because I have and I both saw that movie and loved that movie uh, a couple festivals this year. Of, I don't know if you, you've heard of it, Matt, but it's like these people in, um, I want to say Devon in England, that's who do right. the pantomimes and they decided that they were bored with pantomime and they're going to do a stage adaptation of Ridley Scott's Alien. Um, mm. but they are just bus drivers. So it's just bus drivers doing Alien with homemade props. And the documentary is basically just like, 
some people hear about this and be like, we must capture this because this is the strangest thing. And like, yes. they then, it therefore just gets done on the West End and everyone in London obviously loves it because it has that sense of it. They're like, they're making this because they love making this. And every time I watch one of your movies or your songs, there's that sense of the person that makes this, the people that make this just love making things and they're making because they want to make it. It links back to that Bronte quote of, I must write because it's in me, the sense that I write because I must, and if I didn't, then... Well, there is no didn't. And I always just have such appreciation for those that are making art because they need to make art. And that always surfaces yeah. in the things that they do. Yeah, yeah. And when we're doing it, yeah, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. You know, it's like, ah, it's so exciting. It's so exciting that we're doing it. Um, but it's so much energy. Like, y you don't sleep the night before because you're just like planning for everything that's going to go wrong. And then, you know, like, you know, there's a scene at the top of a hill, you know, uh, in, the, in, in the movie. And it's like, to get to this hill, you have to walk like a half a mile down a, a path and then you have to climb up the hill. And then you're up to the, and you've done that with all the equipment that you're lugging. And then you realize you forgot one prop and you run back down the hill, run through the path, go to the car, get the prop, go back up there. And it's just like, it's so intense and, and you know, like I said, the, the actor has a dentist appointment in, 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 in an hour and a half and you're, it's like, and you have to, you have to make so many uh, choices and, and potentially sacrifices too. You're like, oh, man, I, you know, we, we, we wanted the other scene to take place at such and such a place, but you know, we're already here. Let's just do it here. And it's always just like weighing it out like uh versus the uh, the ideal version of the movie versus versus a movie that actually gets finished and uh you know um what you know i think we balance it as well as you could expect um so for those that are listening that uh, are foolishly not versed in your films um all your music where would you recommend is the starting point how can one get involved in this motive verse this wonderful world of film yeah, I think watching Local Legends is the way to go. I think it's a great um, introduction to both the music and the movies, and 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 then you can then you can watch the you know watch River Beast is probably the next place to go after that. I would think, um, and I mean I made Local Legends in part just because I was so frustrated with the lack of response to the movies we'd already made, and uh, mm. like I said, I was just like I need to. I need to I need to hold people's hands and and guide them to our style of uh, of of, of uh, you know music and comedy and whatnot like because at face value it it takes someone's got to really think about it otherwise to uh, to appreciate it. Yeah, because I it, it, I totally because it, it reminds me like when watching it, you're just like, why doesn't everyone love this? Why isn't everyone watching this? And like, it it really reminds me of a lot of the which is it's interesting that you say that it's more popular in places outside of the states. Of it reminds me of a lot of like the comedy that I watched growing up. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, British comedies like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and Mighty Boosh, where I was just like, why am I the only person that's talking about these things? These things are so clever. These things are so witty, and they're so like off the beaten path and so aware of that and there's always that sense of like these great things there and why is the public not gravitate to it why are they watching that when there's this i say that i say all that to my wife almost daily <laughs> the, the poor woman <laughs> you see this new dennis villeneuve's dune trailer like, why are they watching dune when metal detector maniac is coming out right so yeah well yeah i know well people people love like um occupying wall street you know but then they, I don't know, people love occupying Wall Street. People love it. But, That's all they do. Which I'm all for it. Occupy Wall Street, totally. But like, uh, they occupy Wall Street, but 
but then they buy then they buy the new avengers um movie you know and it's like avengers is basically the wall street of movies you know like uh come on you know it's a little self-serving of me a little self-serving of me to say this but I want your money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally. well, that's, but it's interesting with the with the Avengers point because I mean I've become somewhat of a self parody on Letterboxd and website for writing about my anti capitalist sentiments. But there is this idea of like one of the ways that that capitalism is working right now is it's co opting anti capitalism. Of there are these huge tentpole things that are pretending to be like fringe and pretending to be critical of these attitudes, while all they're doing is just enforcing it at like a, a substructure level, and then. There are these other things where it may not be as political in like their narratives, but the actual things that they're made from actually is more in line with that political statement that actually exists outside of the system. And it's just so pleasing to see things made outside the system as opposed to the system trying to tell you that it's against itself when just propagating itself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so, yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, live the way you think the world should be. And it's like, I think, I think there should be people like me you know, every 150 miles, you know, and, and that yeah. they, and then all the people w- in that radius, you know, all the people are who want to be in a movie, like, yeah, come on over, come to my garage. Absolutely. You can, you can hold a microphone, you can hold a reflector, we'll give you a few lines. And, um, and it's so much fun. I can't, uh, like anyone out there just who's been in the back of your mind, if you're like, man, I, I have an idea for a movie, like, uh, let me just say, do it. Like it is, it is awful in so many ways and it is great in so many other ways, but uh, you're, it's, it's a lot better than just a day. Like, you know, there's so many days that come and go where like, what did you do? You like, you had breakfast, you watched TV, you had lunch, you went shopping and then you came home versus um, like a weekend spent filming where, where like, <laughs> it just, your whole, your, your it's like running a marathon. That, that, that's actually what it is. You run the marathon you finish the marathon, you say never again. And then um, like two weeks later, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll do another marathon, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Wait, like, I've so, run so two, you... I've run two marathons, by the way. That's, that's, that's too, too many, I would argue. Um, so so you, you, you have made movies, they exist and they're really, really good. How, like, how do you learn to do that? Like, did you go to school for it? Did you learn about it at like, like high school? How do you learn to make a movie? Yeah, um, so, um, from age 14, I had access to a video camera. And so it was just making short movies with my friends and using the old two VCR style of editing where, uh, it, I mean, it's very rudimentary and, uh, and tough. And then I went to college, studied English and, um, Charlie who directs the movies, he went to college to uh, the same college. So uh, Providence college in Rhode Island. And, um, and uh, it was the same thing. We didn't we didn't study it, and I th- I think that's a good thing in some ways. Like because you can sometimes study the the joy and creativity right out of the process. So for us, it was the thing. It wasn't the thing we were assigned to do. It was the thing that we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I took some pride in like that. There was like a film production course, and all the kids had to make like a fifteen minute movie. And then meanwhile, Charlie and I made a, a feature length movie on our own. And, uh, you know, sometimes when uh, Charlie and I would be on a walk, I'd be like, we're so much better than those kids in the, <laughs> the film production course. Nobody respects us. We made a feature. Nobody cares. You know, like that's a typical conversation between me and Charlie is me standing on my soapbox, just complaining and Charlie just being, yeah, hey, what are you going to do? 
um, this is a, an ultra specific question, and yeah. I, I, about three people will get it. But um, when, when you were at um, college doing English, Matt, at any point did you put your underwear on your head, run around, and write papers <laughs> for people? Uh, no, no. But um, and and I don't even know where that idea came from. It, like Charlie and I would do. Um, a long walk we were big long walkers you know like um once a semester we do a 30 mile walk and um and we learned that yeah seriously 30 miles where, <laughs> where? just we'd walk one way for 15 miles and then turn around um, <laughs> and 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 that to this day that's we find a great way to come up with ideas because just like the monotony of um of walking and the fact that you're like your blood is pumping, like just ideas start coming to you. So at some point during one of those sessions, we, we, we figured out that was the, the plot of the Paperboy, our first uh, feature movie. And by feature, I mean 60 minutes and like mm. two seconds. Like if, if a feature is an hour long, we just barely, you know, made it. Um, but yeah, and it, it was the whole, the same thing, like working with what you have, like what do we have at our disposal? We have a bunch of college kids and if we show up at their door and say, will you film this quick scene with us? Most of them will say yes. And so uh, that, that, you know, it, it's good. You know, you don't, you don't write a movie about a, a hospital if you don't have access to a hospital, you know? So we always work with what we got. You're in good company with that, like, because uh, I, um, as, as a literature teacher, one of the poems I teach, unfortunately, because I'm not a big fan, uh, William Wordsworth's uh, uh, Intimations on Immortality, which is where he has he has claimed for when he was alive, obviously, that he wrote the entire poem in his head when like walking down like on a eight hour walk down from Wales, that sense of like getting that degree of like inspiration. So there you go. Yeah. When I think of like the great the great odes of our time, you know, William Wordsworth, Matt Farley. Um, yeah, amen. I'm with you. I find great joy in mundanity too, and uh, like the simple processes of walking and um, exploring very uh, simple rudimentary things which is why i do a weekly film podcast um but uh because we're mundane yeah like, yeah we, i'm glad yeah. we can bring mundanity to your life <laughs> uh, i i know nobody's listening i just uh, i i enjoy doing it and I, I enjoy the people who do listen and i think uh i think we do have like a companionship in that and that we just like creating things because we need to do it yeah and it's good to have like just be like all right gotta do it. a new episode is due gotta do it you know and uh because if you get out of that habit one week, then you can suddenly find it's been six months and you're like, oh man, what about that podcast? Right. Um, I have a bone to pick for you, Calvin. You claim that you love mundanity, yet we do a bi-weekly kaiju film podcast where every time you complain about how the movies are boring into the last 20 minutes, and now you claim that you love mundanity. All you talk about is how boring <laughs> these movies are. I am, uh, I'm trying to provide an opposite perspective of uh, your, your kaiju fandom. Uh, on a bi-weekly basis. I, I need to bring some uh, energy to that podcast. Otherwise, uh, they'll uh, fall asleep listening to the uh, the same description of Godzilla destroying the, the city every week. Unless it's Gamera, then they'll be uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Well, um, I, uh, I do appreciate the intersection here and that you're joining us. I hope you'll sit in with us while we do a... Well, the movie you brought to us, for one. But, uh, we, we're also doing oh, yeah. Malignant. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Get, yeah. You do your thing. And, um, like I said, I, I would have listened to this conversation anyway, cause I am a subscriber. So speaking of like very like independent, you know, very like up and coming films, this, this James Wan guy and his new film, Malignant Calvin. 
coming off of uh, Aqu- Aquaman, you would say, <laughs> yeah, you know, filmmaker, which I thought had even gothic textures and and some gothic stuff in the lighthouse at first, and then I was like, but this just became the same as every other one of these movies. I think I gave it a three on the website out of ten. Yeah, I mean, at least that film was weird. I mean, Aquaman, like, is, I would never argue it was a great movie, but at least yeah. it was a strange movie. I don't know if it was even trying to be strange, but it was like utterly bewildering in some some almost interesting ways. And I've always thought James Wan, I've never attached to his style as kind of a clinical purveyor of a certain kind of horror that was popular the last 10 years or 10 years before now, before our like art house wave. And um, I realized that not everything needs to be art house anymore. Uh, uh, horror doesn't have to have a high concept, although this one might get there later on. It might get to a concept at the very least mm-hmm. that's kind of reflected in a series of 80s and 70s horrors. I, all right, so I malignant, which I think rules. I have become one of the few malignant defenders, which which upsets <laughs> me. And like, I understand everything that's wrong with this movie, and like, I even understand like our good friend Para, um, like they've written really well about like the the social and political issues of this film, which are many. Like the way that it treats women is is frankly horrendous, and like the tropes that it recycles are horrendous. And yeah, it's sloppy. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, it's not great for quite a while, but. I don't know. This is some of this movie. I mean, I saw it twice, like two days in a row, and it just got under my skin, not in a, a scary way, not in a horror way, but in like a, this is just so fun. Um, and then it gets to this last 20 minutes, which everyone is talking about, which is just the wildest thing that you've seen outside of a 80s horror movie. Should we spoil it here? Should we talk about it on the show? <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard choice. Because we, if we talk about its reference points, we might have to say what actually happened. I mean, well, let's 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 let's, let's talk about its reference points then. So, if you like okay. um, films like Brain Damage, if you like films like Basket Case and like Reanimator, then you will really enjoy the last twenty-five <laughs> minutes of this movie. I'd even put in, in like probably unexpected. I'd even put in like Stephen King's The Dark Half as a as a possible outcome of a. I guess we would have to spoil it to describe why, but. Uh, we could just uh, move with whatever you want to go with there. I'm uh, because I'm from Seattle and I've done the underground tour three or four times with people coming into the city. It's one of my favorite, like very touristy spots because it's it's kind of haunted feeling. It is very dark, but it also shows like pictures of the city, like a uh, just like a hill of manure with ladders on it, like a uh, pictures of the old Seattle, and it feels like haunted and strange. And I just love the Seattle underground. So I always thought good setting for horror and. Uh, I'm glad they get to explore that just a little bit. Yeah, I wish they did a bit more of that. It would be nicer because it is one thing I do really like about the film because I'm not a James Wan fan at all. Like, I mm. like Saw enough. Um, his other movies yeah. do very little for me. I haven't seen his Fast and the Furious movie because I just frankly don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, the, the, there is a trend in recent horror movies um, of being like, it's like one of those movies, and therefore it borrows the aesthetic of those movies as well, which I'm getting kind of like tired of, of the sense of like, it's like an 80s movie, and it looks like an 80s movie, as opposed to this one where it's like, we're going to reference these things. But, but it looks, looks like, like a, a 2000s movie, yeah. Yeah, and like, it feels like a continuation of those things, as opposed to just like a, like a, just a nostalgia retread of those things, which is really cool. Like, the, the giallo stuff is there, the monster yeah. stuff is there, the body horror is there but it's there with like this contemporary like sheen to it. And also like it, it, it prods into James Wan films. Like it is a pr- police procedural for a bit. It looks to be a possession horror for a little bit. It looks to be a haunted house for a little bit. It's like, he's reflecting on his career, which has also been like split apart and it goes full on action at a point as well. And he's just like combining it together 
and just having fun with it. And I've just gotten conversations with people where they're just like, do you reckon he knows? Because people are like, is this a good movie or like a so bad it's good movie? Like, this is a really good movie. It's great. And people are like, does he know that it's good? I'm like, watch this movie and watch it again because it is full of so many like literal jokes and literal bits where it's so clear this man is exactly what he is doing and is in quote on the joke. It's uh, hard to say. He has some tendencies. He just can't beat off his own back. Um, there's some, uh, there's some growth there, some uh, cancerous ideas in the, in the horror genre that I think he just mm. uh, struggles and cannot pull away from himself. Um, a lot of it from conjuring, which is a really, I don't know. I, I like really uh, uh, outsider horror and, a little bit of vanguardist stuff. So uh, kind of that conjuring thing of the, I think he at least gets away with that scare, from that scare tactic, which is just the quiet and then the banging. And then he gets into something yeah. a little bit more heady at least. Um, I mean, literally towards the end, there is a moment in the scene, in, in the movie, which is set up like that one scene in possession. Yes. That one scene in possession where the lead actress is also dressed up like Isabella Johnny in that film and then goes utterly wild. And just have you seen have you seen Nightbreed, Calvin? No. There's a bit in Nightbreed, which is an okay movie, um Clive Barker movie that's got um Dave Cronenberg in it, where someone just like rips off their own face at one point. Um <laughs> there's there a little a bit of that like yeah that in this movie. I was like, oh hello, okay, we're going places, are we? Just like yeah, ripping yeah, through the wonderful. flesh and, and pulling something yeah. out there is uh, yeah, uh more ripping oh. of oneself in films, I think. Well, I, I see what people are responding to when they say it doesn't always feel um, like it's a decided factor of the film that there's a, there, like my wife watching it was just like, okay, there's all these parts and it feels like everyone's doing something over here. And there are all, all these parts that are repeating from James Wan's films from like the police procedural and the horror and the um, uh, other ideas that he has that he keeps repeating. Uh, like the old haunted house that's in, yeah. Uh, the more modern horror movies, it's just kind of like septic. And uh, every house in a James Wan horror movie looks exactly the same. Very dingy, very dark, and they, they're they all the same aesthetic design as this one. Uh, so, I, I mean, I see that she's like, but these parts don't mix in with that anymore. Uh, it's going in like four different directions for her, and it's like uh, tearing a monster out of your back. It's just, it's just uh, really hard Stop it, <laughs> but, but then just the way it's shot is just so cool like it goes like full De Palma and like goes like full Argento there's a great bit in Tenebrae um, there's like this, this eight minute section in Ar Argento's Tenebrae where he just films the outside of this apartment building and it just has that great goblins where you're like yeah this is great and like the studio were like Argento why is this in the film cut out this thing it's like no no this thing stays in the movie and this has a moment just like that in this film as well of it's not quite as long but like this like pulsing score and these Argento-ish kind of like just like flourishes the camera you're like this guy is I feel like this is like James Wan's no take me seriously movie but also <laughs> him being like but I'm also a joke like he's aware yeah. that he is a joke but he's also like I love other horror movies look I, I'm yes I'm the saw guy but I've seen this and I've seen this and I've seen this I'm like yeah so have I they're good um I mean, even if you feel it's bad, I think it's a film that everyone will have fun with. Um, yes, it is a fun movie. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a... I mean, I think it's possible just to see it as that love, love letter of James Wan to all these horror movies and also feel it's bad and also have a great time. Yeah, I also, as I wrote my review of it, I think it's really sweet. I think it's a really kind of adorable movie that, like, I love that he's written of his wife and that his wife is in that film. And that ultimately it is when you boil the, the, the narrative have bits in it that are uncomfortable and very badly done about, like, assault and about gender. It boils down to this, like, idea of, of finding a connection and that our connections with people are what save us from ourselves. 
and like that being quite a self-reflective film of him like going into a new period of his life the way that it, it kind of like ends with that and holds on that I really thought was beautiful like both times and like did not surprise to be quite like emotively like moved by this movie where something utterly bizarre happens in the last 20 minutes I, I, I understand people need to watch it yeah I understand though if people are reading it as just genuine badness when there's lines like why are you pregnant stupid like I mean I, I understand why my wife's watching that and she's like Huh, is that is that like authentic writing and and intentionality? Um, I right. see it. I, I get it. It's good though. People should watch it. <laughs> and you have a full review up on the website already. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. People can yeah, look yeah. that up. Yeah, read that. I saw the movie twice. Um, yeah, I understand, but I I think it's great. It's it's. I'm keeping a upgoing top ten of the year and like beyond that of like whatever because I do a a yearly award show with Jack, as you mentioned, and I've got an updated list of my favorite films since then. And it is just one place below her. She got married at the moment. So it's not as good as her. She got married. Um, so it's between, so her. she got married is one step beneath, um, uh, God, the green knight at the moment. And now I'm thinking like, mm, I don't know. Do I like the green knight? Because other people tell me I like the green knight. Maybe I should bump this up a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't thought about the green knight as much. As I haven't no. heard she got married, so maybe maybe I'm gonna make that push. I approve. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I I definitely have it in my top ten James Wan films. So. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, can, is is there a better James Wan movie? I mean, possibly not. I mean, I like it. I'm not on the side of this is a bad thing because it goes so fucking nuts that I uh, I end up just being so entertained by it. So I think it is time then, now that we've um, pushed our guest away for so long, to, to talk about the movie that he chose to talk about. So, uh, Matt, if you could introduce this film that we have watched on your behalf. <laughs> Lots and lots and lots of bad stuff is gonna happen today Because it's Friday the 13th That's a very, very, very bad, bad day Oh no, I'm so scared I'm so frightened What are we gonna do? We've got to be careful You never know what might happen on Friday the 13th That is when bad stuff happens no, I'm frightened and I'm scared I'm totally terrified because it's Friday the 13th Oh no, I'm very, very frightened Because today is Friday the 13th We watch some horror movies, we get so frightened We think that someone's trying to break into our house Every sound I hear sounds like a bad guy Trying to break in and kill me I am so frightened because today is Friday the 13th And that's a very, very, very scary day Okay, um, now, I mean, it's a developing opinion for me Like, what is the best, what's the best horror movie? I, I'm a slasher guy, first off I'm, I'm generally Halloween franchise versus Friday I always leaned Halloween, even like I'd take Halloween four um, over most of the Friday movies uh, in the past. 
But in, recently, Fridays have been working their way up in my estimation. And, um, and I used to think, okay, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, part, that's part four, is the best one because it has, it has like, the innocence of the early movies, but it, 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 has, it, it knows what it's doing and it gives you everything you want. Um, but then at one point I was like, you know what? I'm, they're giving me too much. It's too much. They know what they're doing too much. Uh, um, and then, and I became a fan recently of Friday the 13th part two, because I feel like it, it just perfectly walks the line. And, and for me, when I watch a horror movie, I don't, I don't care about the blood and guts. Like I just like watching these characters just spend time with each other. And so for me, the ultimate horror movie is where the characters don't realize they're in danger until very, very late in the movie so that we get to see them having fun you know and there's just in just in the periphery there's like the this looming darkness but they don't know and so they can they can have arm wrestling matches you know and um and play, you know play computer games and and that that is what i love also what i love is um how i believe is six and a half the first six and a half minutes of this movie flashbacks from part one Oh my God. Like <laughs> I respect that so much. Like they're just, they, that part one made big money. They could yeah. totally afford to make mm. like to make a full movie, but they're like, yeah, fill the first six and a half minutes with clips. And then, and then suddenly the next six minutes are the main character from part one. And with no explanation, like mm. she's in some apartment, obviously not near crystal Lake. And yet, Jason has somehow tracked her down and put his mom's head in her fridge. And I'm just like, this, this makes absolutely no sense. And yet I'm so happy to sit back and watch it. So let's talk Friday the 13th part two. I think it's interesting too how they do the clip show, which is like a, a whole, um, a whole thing that happens in horror is you get like the, the sequel with like a clip show of what happened in the prior uh, film. But, I'm always a fan of that. I'm, but, a, I'm a big defender of those Gamera movies that are just clips. Yeah. I'm a big defender of Revenge of the Boogeyman, which is not a movie. It's just bits from the previous movie people driving around Hollywood. So yeah, and, I, I like a clip show film. I think by like putting it juxtaposed next to the uh, lady waking up from the first film, you, you have an idea that she's having the bad dream of what those clip shows were. Like it, it goes into her reality, but although she's not going to play a large part in this movie, like I, I know they wanted to kill off her character because allegedly she was being harassed when the when the first film uh, was released, and she's going to be like the Laurie Strode of this franchise, and uh, that didn't end up happening because of that. But but also they shot these within the span of six months, so I don't know if there was legitimately time for that to have happened and uh, and that development to really happen. But uh, it, it's interesting that they do it that way. You got to forgive me here. Um, you mentioned the the Halloween movies, Matt, and I need to know your opinion on one specific Halloween movie. What is your view on Halloween three? What's your Halloween three take? Uh, yeah, you. Know, I know. I know. There's like a resurgence, or maybe just a surgence in um, in love for Halloween three, but uh, I I don't mind it. I don't mind it. No. I don't love it though. I'm not one of those guys who's like this is this is the best. I I mean. I, you have to let go. Like, oh, it's not a Michael Myers movie, so you have to just be like, all right, it's a, it's its own thing. I mean, I love the main character. He's, you know, he, he's just got the gravitas. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I want to see a slasher more so than um, uh, masks that bugs 
come out of when a commercial plays or whatever that that's what i want to see though i want to see children putting on masks and turning into bugs <laughs> when there are robots and witches and robot witches and yeah that main character who is weirdly just a horrible person but does not needs to be for the film it's just oh, yeah Halloween three is so good i love Halloween. the theme song is pretty good mm. the, well three more days till halloween exactly. and then um the instant love affair too with the girl the woman who's like half his age that's always yeah, a delight he asks her what her age is after an erratic encounter. I'm like, that's one of the worst lines in a film ever. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, you put that afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. Um, apart from that, that movie rules. The and that Cynthia uh, Carpenter score coming oh. back, uh, still nice. Um, yeah. I, oh, I like no, how the music more, in Friday, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, the, the oh. music towards the end where that score comes in is just unbelievably good. <laughs> I think I like oh, Halloween yeah. more like component parts, but for like a very long horror marathon, the Fridays blend into each other so easily uh, that I think they do become kind of a traditional fun watch. Halloween gets real miserable in at least four places for me. So uh, series-wise, uh, I might like these movies a little less than my heights of like Halloween, Halloween H2O, Halloween 3, um, a little bit Rob Zombie 1, it's fine. Uh, 4 is fine. Um, but but this one, uh, this franchise, I think it uh, it starts cynically for me. That first movie, I, I feel cynical about, like it's chasing Halloween, and I know Halloween's chasing Black Christmas, but uh, I think this but one's also, an improvement. Like, a Bay of Blood, my, my thing of watching the first part of the 13th is like, I'd watched A Bay of Blood before, and I really love Bay of Blood, I'm like, what, like, what? and again, because I was like, why isn't this the first movie? I get that it's Italian and stuff, and you know, we, yeah. we hate Italians apparently, but I'm just like, A Bay of Blood is a really fun, really gory, ridiculous movie, and the first part of the 13th, Again, you go into it because ex- Jason is just a figure in pop culture. You're like, when's Jason going to come? Where's Jason? Where's Jason? Where's Jason? What do you mean there's no Jason in this film? Where's Jason? Oh, there's no Jason in this film. Uh, fair enough. Which then Friday the 13th part two, I'm like, oh, this is the Jason one. Where's Jason? But I'm like, also, Jason. Yeah, oh, also, this no mass Jason in like the way that you'd expect still. Like it, it takes longer than you think it does in your head to really get to like those, those Jason movies. I've really liked uh, Paperbag, Jason, though. He looks like the front cover of Funny Games, which is hilarious. To me. <laughs> I would like to brag that I and Charlie and Tom, who I collaborate with in the movies, we um, we went to the location. And once the movie actually starts, it's like the, we're no longer seeing the, um, the guy and the girl go to the payphone to make a call, and then their, their car gets towed. Yeah. We went on a pilgrimage. We found out where that was filmed. We went on a pilgrimage to that spot, and it was uh, it was <laughs> super cool and exciting to uh, to see it. And uh, let's uh, like okay, that is like the worst prank ever. By the way, let's let's tow <laughs> my friend's car. You know, like then the, the friend is like chasing after the tow truck driver. Like someone's gonna get hurt. This is this is a dangerous and and um and ridiculous prank with a lot of moving parts. I, I, I do like at the beginning of this movie, though, we, we, we've alluded to, like it flirts with being like five different things where it's like, mm-hmm. it has that opening that obviously is like the clip show bit. And then it's like, now it's a more psychological thing. And then it's got the tow truck thing. I'm like, is this like a, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Like, what is it? Like, what is going on here? And then it's like, now we're back at the camp. It's a Friday the 13th movie. We're going to have a nice time. We're going to sit around and chat. I like the phone booth part too, because the old creepy man starts showing up there and uh, the foreboder of what's coming. I, I enjoy him. 
Yeah, I like I like that. I like just just give me a little touch of uh, of a hint of the horror that's coming. But like I said, n- no rush because once yeah. it's just <laughs> once it's just people screaming and running, it's like ah, oh, I'm a, I'm a little bored by this. You know, um, I would rather get learn the ins and outs of the you know the rules of the campground. I'm not even joking. I really ha- happily will sit there as a guy lists the rules of the campground wait and i mean the script is so uneven i I, like i don't know yeah like i don't know the the motivation behind so many lines with um jenny and paul paul's the guy who runs the uh camp and then jenny it's like their their motivation seems to change with each line that they deliver (laughs) you know where i bet like at points the actors are like should I do should should I do it a different way? And the and the director's like, no, it's good enough. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm gonna go for a weird recommendation here, but like, if you like just like campground hanging around, have you seen the '60s Soviet movie Welcome or No Trespassing? No. No. Are you aware of Alan Klimov, the guy that did Come and See? No. So Come and See <laughs> is just like the most like ridiculously depressing war movie you've ever seen in your life it's just literally this boy becoming a man through war and we're just watching just nazi soldiers just burn through um soviet states and it's just unbelievably depressing it's the whole lot like you must bear witness to it and um, he was married to um, laura shapitko who did um, the ascent and he he has this 1964 comedy which they have like an ellen plim of comedy he made a comedy yeah yeah it's so good um it's this 70 wow. minute light comedy about just kids like pulling pranks at this like Soviet summer camp and it's it's hilarious it's like they're bringing animals the entire plot of the movie is basically this kid is sent home because the dickhead that runs the place is just mean to him because he wants him to swim in the right place swim in the wrong place and then he pretends to go home but just hides under the stage the entire movie and it's just like there's a bit where the band walk to the toilet and back so he can hide behind them the guy's like oh i love the music they're playing so yeah if you want to watch just like 70 minutes of just people messing around at a camp welcome on no trespassing which is on youtube you can find it recommend it Not, oh good yeah and it's it's strange because i do i do like like the the jovial um camp life but i need to have i want to have that little scary music every once in a while just to just you to let us know that it's not all fun. Did you say do it myself? Is that what you say? Just, just, just load up Spotify. Get like some carpenter soundtrack. Just put it on every now and then. Pause the movie. Just like make it a slasher. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. I mean, in my notes, I have young people swimming, young people playing <laughs> pranks, young people looking for stuff in the woods, young people telling jokes. Oh my! Like it is. It's a. It's a hangout movie. I think. I guess uh, my only my only note of bragging about the Fridays is a, a friend Duke Hanley wrote um, Friday Thirteenth Part Seven. Uh, he also wrote some good books about like a old uh, dead Hollywood actors and uh, how they lived hard and fast. Uh, Death Valley Superstars is one of his books. Um, that was the one that was going to be directed by Fellini at some point, and they wanted to enter yes. into like the Oscar award cycle. Uh, Friday Seven. So they made it like Carrie instead, and uh, they were really trying to go for like an award season uh, thing with with Friday Thirteenth, which I I find very enjoyable that that it happened at all. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, I mean that one that one has grown on me a little bit too. You know, it's uh, there is a good amount of just hanging out and uh, dealing with uh, the party. Um, yeah. So so I, I like um, I like the guy the guy in the wheelchair. He's a great character. 
and then the girl who who has the hots for him. Like, yeah. I just mm. I just love hanging out with them. I mean, the the guy. Uh, the guy who shoots, he's got the slingshot, and he shoots it at the girl that he likes. Like, what a like, what a weird uh, situation. And, and that's another one where she gives a look back at him where, again, I feel like the actress was like, wait, let me do it again. And the, and the director said it's good enough because it makes no sense. And, um, oh, and then when he's dancing with the dog later on, yeah. it's just, it's so uncomfortable. And yet, again... It, it walks that line perfectly for me because I, I legitimately love it. And it's just so nice to have this movie on TV, especially this time of year. Uh, yeah. My favorite part of the movie actually involves Muffin the dog. Uh, it is later in the movie when he busts in. We're not going to get to it yet, but but Muffin the dog is there and they're like, oh, come in, Muffin. And then uh, suddenly, uh, you know, the arm through the window. I love the gag. They, yeah, and they were going for kind of like like the end of part one, where you know he jumps. Yeah. You think you think everything's good, and then then it isn't. You know, I, the the wheelchair going down the steps. That that <laughs> that's that, good. They, they pulled that off pretty nicely. And that's where so the the longer like kills too. Like they like they focus on that one, and it it goes. I'd say almost all the kills in this might cut out too soon for me. Um, if we're talking about like the technical <laughs> actual gore and the actual kills, but that one somehow goes on for about twenty seconds with him rolling down the stairs and you know everything that happens preceding then i to get back to what matt was saying with with the um, relationship with the characters i actually really i every time i see a character in a wheelchair in a horror film my mind goes been like oh this is gonna be handled so badly and i'm gonna be so uncomfortable <laughs> about this because there's yeah. a, a long history of ableist horror and i was actually pleasantly surprised the film was like oh this person is not defined by this other characters just interact and it's just a part mm-hmm. of him and it's really nice to see a movie from this period especially and like you put it against like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which does that so terribly, and like a film like Don't Go Into the Woods Alone, um, which also does that so terribly. This long history of just like using horror as like a baton to just like using people's disabilities as like jump scares or like victims of how it's just like there as just one of the campers. Uh, so that that care to character and that incidental nature is is really strong point for me that I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, they they handle it perfectly. He's just 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 another character, and um, uh, and you know, it, I was I was rooting for him, him and that girl. You know, they never yeah. they never had their moment. What a shame. And they didn't, but he's not <laughs> like desexualized. Like there is that that no. fear in so many films that like atypical people, as a, I mean atypical in terms of what you usually see on screen, not in terms of just like people are usually desexualized. The sense of like they're not allowed to have like the full range of human emotions and experience. So seeing there is that very like sexual frissons that yeah it doesn't go anywhere but like having that in it being like yeah no he is a part of the friday the 13th movie and part of the friday the 13th movies is they screw and they die so there you go Everyone i'd like to add uh, another key element is like um so we have slingshot boy and the girl <laughs> of his uh, desires and then he ends up in the bear trap and then she uh, goes to save him and they both get killed but the trick is it's like kill them off but make sure none of the other characters even notice that they're gone so then all the other characters can keep on having their fun at camp and uh and um and, and we keep that vibe going so i i think it, it's past the hour mark before we're really into the horror and yeah. then and, you know it's like okay i can handle that i can handle 23 minutes of uh of horror because i've been uh, you know i've been hanging out with these people for the past uh, 62 minutes so i'm fine 
I love the what you want, Matt. It's in this like diminishingly returning like character drama. It's like they just sit around and every now and then one of them disappears. And we just like, yes. it's like a kooky bird movie where the characters are leaving every now and then. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that, that's what, uh, and you know, uh, my friends and I will, um, well, we used to more so than now, but we'd get together for weekend long marathons and mm. it was all about like the, the awkward moments when the horror wasn't happening that's because uh you know it's kind of perfunctory as far as the filmmakers are concerned but it was uh it's what struck us as the most interesting yeah which is i think it's it's a big reason why horror appeals we're we're both huge horror fans here of like when you've got the extreme moments of having to have things between that and like because you need the downtime for the thing to be exciting and like the, yeah. the fact that most horror films at the time just go for quirk and just go for weirdness and silliness is so unbelievably endearing and it's so opposite to what we'll think that these films are around. It's like, let's just sit around and like, talk about like playing chess or whatever. I'm just going to watch that for a bit. And then someone gets stabbed. But then we go yeah, back to chess. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with like, you know, horror movies of the last 20 years. They feel, they seem to feel the need to have like attention from minute one to the last minute. And, um, and and that's probably why I, I I'm not into so much uh, horror of that era. Like, um, and you know, there, there was all the '90s, uh, you know, Renaissance with uh, Scream, and I know what you did last summer, where they did have the fun, but it was a knowing, you know, almost wink at the camera kind of fun versus, you know, these old these Friday movies and, and other slashers. It was just like they're like we need something to happen like i don't know let's just have them um have arm wrestling (laughs) i mean the the arm wrestling bit is fun too and it's about like them like matching their like prowess and then the woman taking them off and uh she's like a you know you want to play the the football or or the hockey game she's like which one's that which one has a puck i mean that's all good that's what i really want is that that kind of background minimal i i do want to just be at a camp i do i do like that yeah. I yeah. Also, like as as a British person watching this, like this idea of an American summer camp feels so exotic to me. I'm like, this isn't a thing that we do here. How fun! <laughs> Which like gets it. There's a bit. So I need to ask you questions as resident Americans. I mean, like, there's a bit towards the beginning where the guy says, like, being a camp counselor isn't the coolest job that you think it is. Is is that a genuine conception? Like, do people think that is a cool job? I don't think so. No. Because yeah, only like, if you're doing it. If you're doing it, I bet you think it is a cool job. Ah, that's true, actually. The kind of people that go for that are like, yeah, actually, I worked for summer camp this summer and it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think yeah, I so. Didn't, I didn't pay to stay at the summer camp. No, I was in charge of children. You're like, oh, wow. You I have was, to I'm, be that person. I remain mystified by when the, the police officer shows up and Paul, who's in charge of the camp, is like dealing with the fact that the, the cop is mad at him, you know, and then and then Paul is like, uh, d- does like that, like, well, make sure they don't get their dinner, you know, to, to Ginny. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, that does not feel like Paul to me. What I know of Paul from, from the beginning of the movie till then is that he's kind of a by the book, no nonsense kind of guy. And it, I don't think he, I don't think that character would deliver that. I just, it feels like another example where that they weren't, they were writing it, they, you know, they were concerned about the tone at a line by line basis you know meaning like they didn't care if one line matched the tone from two lines earlier and so uh, whenever he does that i'm like that's not paul that's not the paul i know 
<laughs> I just, I don't, you're literally the only person I can think of is just like deeply like engrossed in the character continuity <laughs> being like wait I have marked out this arc Paul starts here why is Paul here now no when I think <laughs> about <laughs> when I think about Paul too is not my Paul hashtag not my Paul get this trending let's get everywhere <laughs> Paul never gets what is this Paul never gets like his ending. We do need like a Paul cut to find out what really justice happens in the movie. We're going back. We're remaking Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and Paul is getting justice. He's getting like an actual continuity of character finally. Um, and and then, uh, but they did at least think through the whole Ginny thing in that Ginny yeah. is into child psychology, and then she actually applies that, you know, by the end of the movie as a way to like. Um, to keep Jason from getting her uh, for a little while. So, yeah, you know, that, that was a through line. Ginny, Ginny's a little bit more consistent um, than Paul, but even, even her, you know, uh, I gotta, I gotta let it go though. Yeah, like Ginny's like the character that you put in to mention Kitty Litter partway through the film. So then when Kitty Litter is used (laughs) at the end to kill some kind of river beast, like it all makes perfect sense. Like playing that function. We're always, we're always like, how? Let's let's try to mention something as subtly as we can at minute twenty-three, <laughs> and let's let everybody forget about it. And then at minute minute ninety-two, uh oh, it's back. I genuinely applauded in front of my friend at that point when when I realized that Kitty Little moment was happening. That movie, I just sat there in my front room and just clapped at the screen. I was like, this is genius. <laughs> But hearing you talk about this film, it, it, it makes Riverbees, which I think is your masterpiece, I love it so much, um, make more sense to me because it is that movie that you're talking about that you want it to be, the movie where it's just like, oh yeah, there's a Riverbees there. We'll even like flash the screen when it comes on. Don't worry about the Riverbees. The Riverbees is out there. But it's an excuse for, let's just have some characters. They're going to talk. They're going to do some weird things. They're going to hang out. You're going to love them. Let's spend some time with them. I mean, yeah. we do I love also... the Riverbees too, but I think it is oh, yeah, those moments between the characters. Riverbees. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I also love that gimmick with the flashing screen. I, I adore that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. I mean, we stole it um, from yeah. when the screaming when the screaming stops um, specifically. I think it's been used in a couple of uh, other movies, but um, but yeah, well, it's from one of our many horror marathons. When we saw that, we're like, all right, um, we need to do that in one of our movies. I mean, it's valid to steal that and like put it into a new context and everything. And uh, I think it works in a, a very funny and effective way in that yeah, one. And especially as it's such an overtly referential film anyway, in that sense. Of oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Why genre is, seems only fair game. Yes. Even a bit in like freaky Farley is kind of just like the hanging out with a uh, Farley. And uh, uh, it's not even about like the voyeurism for me. It's like about... Uh, uh, it's about the character of Freaky Farley. Let's. Uh, let's yeah, is he gonna? Yeah, is he gonna get a job at the telephone company or not? You know, that's yeah. that's what, I, <laughs> that's what we really need. Concerned about Friday the Thirteenth vibes from Freaky Farley, where he's just like happens to be just like. I guess he's a voyeur, but I guess he just kind of is. Like, that's just there for a little bit. Why not? That's guys, right? Oh, now he's just talking about job interviews and like getting too far in his relationship with this woman. <laughs> yes, I. Love getting so like so deep into the nitty gritty of the side plot, you know, <laughs> that um, th- that you, you, you like the main plot matters so little. I think that's genuinely true in all the Fridays that I care about, um, which would be, I'd say like seven because of my friend, and then this one, uh, six and four would be my, the four that I really <laughs> like genuinely. I yeah, yeah. have only watched this one, the second one, and Freddy vs. Jason, the only okay. three that I've seen. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, let me... I, I'll catch up with them. I've been watching them with friends. We'll get through them. I apologize. 
yeah, I like I like three, except like there's like like a biker gang in three that um they're just like it, they're a little too mean, you know. Like I, like I've obviously <laughs> made it clear that I like. And what a what a complaint to say like there's too much meanness in a, in a horror movie. Game. Like in a horror movie, yeah. All these wholesome <laughs> slashes. The wholesome. I want a wholesome slasher. wholesome slasher. So yeah, but so you're you say you know the writer of part seven? Is that what you say? Yeah, yeah. That's that's cool. <laughs> it is a cool but, movie. It's a strange movie. Which um, one is seven? I, that's I the Carrie one. The telekinesis okay. and yeah. What's that one called? The uh, New Blood. New Blood, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good name for a movie. Yeah, it, it's I, a good movie, and I like all the. I like the party. I, I like, and the girl is like invited to the party, but then she's embarrassed, and she has a little bit of psychic powers. And like I said, that one's been growing on me because I, I was always like hesitant because I'd, I'd read reviews just like, oh, they're trying to do a carry thing, but it's like, well, it works, so that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I, I think four and six are the most fun for me. Uh, I, 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 those are just pure camp for me. So. I want to see the one where he takes Manhattan, presumably from the Muppets, because I have seen Muppets take Manhattan. And I like that kind of like interplay that they're going back and forth between Jason and Muppets to like wrest control of Manhattan, which I presume is the plot of the movie. It is. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Good, good, good. I like a puppet horror. <laughs> I wonder if this will be like our only time that we get to uh, Friday 13th. I know a, uh, David, our regular host, wouldn't normally get to it. So uh, I'm glad you've brought it to us. Yeah, well, yeah, great. Yeah, it was good talking. And it's, I mean, it for me, for horror, it's like, um, I like woods horror and I like suburbs horror. They're, like, those are my, my two go-to. I like slashers, for sure, over any other kind. Um, How do you and, feel uh, about um, Jason X and also Leprechaun Goes to Space? Are, are you... On board these concepts. Should horror go to space? Should horror be in space? I don't want to no. ref alien. Uh, I, I think oh. these other two. No, I um I don't even know if I've seen either one of them. But it's like I I'm really like some people complain when a sequel completely rehashes all the beats of the original. But I'm mm -hmm. like, this is what I want. Just give me a very <laughs> minor variation on I'm people at a camp slowly getting killed every time anytime that it like i mean the one thing that's different about part three is the biker gang and that it totally takes me out of it so, i mean uh, if, if, yeah. we know you do not like if you give me a space camp if they're if they're just doing the marshmallows mm. in space i'm i'm fucking in i think i think yeah I agree. yeah i mean if it's jason a space movie space yeah camp. let it be a space movie but if it's a, a jason movie it shouldn't be in space <laughs> it's, it's but i do at least you say that you i like appreciate the I'm sorry. I appreciate the elevator pitch, though, that w would have gone into Jason in space. You know, where yeah. they're like, picture this, Jason in space. You know, like, boom, you've got it. Here's $10 million. Go I like, it. like, the extrapolation of, like, a hockey face mask into, like, space armor. I think it's at least a good <laughs> aesthetic idea initially. It's interesting to me, Matt, that you say that you like these, like, very slightly iterative sequels, because I'm just, like, a big fan of the, oh, we took the first film, we did a weird thing with it. Like, I'm, all, I'm that guy that's just, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is the real, real Texas Chainsaw movie. I want them to take that first film and make it weird. I'm also a big Babe 2 fan, this idea of, like, no, take this, take this first movie and then make the strange version of it. So I will always support that. Uh, I, I mean, there's a place for that as well, for sure. And let me just, before we wrap up, I just want to say... Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two is another masterpiece. And and this this takes the 
what the beginning of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and it just it doesn't double down; it like quadruples down. Where the pretty much the first half of Silent Night Deadly Night Two is clips from Silent Night Deadly Night One with just a narrator describing it, and <laughs> I, I love that. I I love it because it's just funny to imagine, like you know, and the whole idea of commerce versus art, you know, like there's someone like I want to make a movie, and and then the 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 money people are like, well, you can make half a movie. The other half is going to be just clips from part one. And it's and <laughs> what's amazing that. is they they ended up making an incredibly entertaining movie from it because you get the best half, the best part of best parts of part one all condensed into half a movie. And then they only had to make another half a movie from there. And it's one of my favorites. And if you see it, you'll realize that Freaky Farley is very much mm. indebted um, to that movie. Our friends that uh, were mentioned earlier, they just went on a spree with yeah. those uh, Silent Deadly Nights after they went through uh, some of your films. So uh, maybe I, uh, I watched Freaky Folly with them and yeah. Matt, different Matt, who is his font of knowledge of all things cinema and just a great dude. He was so excited that it was like that movie, and he's such a fan. I even like I watched like one by myself, and I took a picture of the screen. So sorry for that. I, I pirated your movie very very briefly. Um, when your your character in that movie is explaining the movies that he makes, and he goes, you know, it's kind of like a silent. Night, Daddy, Night, Two. I'm like Matt. Is this Matt? You are you sure you're not the same Matt as this Matt? You are both called Matt, and you're both the only people mentioned this film. And he gave me the same picture, being like, "Don't watch the first one. It's all in the second one. It's just yeah. terrific. Watch it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I and, and then it's funny on a grand scheme. It's like I'm gonna put a lot of money and effort and time into making a movie that's loosely, you know, at least like the skeleton of it is based on Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two, which is like universally loathed everyone hates it and and i'm using that as like the the springboard like i just want to make a movie as good as that that was my goal <laughs> well, uh, maybe possibly when you make your next movie i'd love if you'd come back and we could talk silent deadly night part two i i would enjoy great that. idea yeah let's do that yeah this has been this has been a delight thank you yeah thank so you what, so much what wild horror movie is going to inspire your next film like what what stealth remake of a critically panned movie are you going for next Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things, I don't want to give too much away, but we do have sequel ideas for some of our movies. And we're definitely, yes. like you said, like when you just go nuts, like the whole, like, you know how like Rambo, um, the first Rambo movie is kind of like <laughs> yeah. a bit of a like contemplative, like it, there's a message to it and it's it's almost subtle. And then by like the third one, he's just like covered in, in like, Grease, you know, like <laughs> greased up and, and like shooting, um, you know, bow and arrows at helicopters, you know. Yeah. So we definitely we want to embrace that for sure. That the like, Rambo just, Part Three. So yeah, just you heard so it over it. the next motion movie will have an arrow shot at a helicopter. Um, it will be a druid <laughs> film, obviously. So our fourth druid film will have an arrow shot at a helicopter. Yes, that yeah. So, um, but and then um, the the next one we're shooting is called Magic Spot, and um, it's it's got like some sci-fi elements uh, um, to it, like the time travel kind of thing. Well, on that note, I think that's a a big bombshell to leave us with. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Make sure to check out our website, thetwingeeks.com, for our latest reviews, retrospectives, and features. Follow us on Twitter at the Twin Geeks and individually at David A. Punch and Cal at Calvin Kev. Don't forget to check out our video game show, The Daydreamcast, and our kaiju show, Ranking the Monsters. Leave a review and rating, and we'll see you next week for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema.
listening to my podcast You have millions of choices But you picked mine out of all the voices I record my thoughts and my conversations And I post them online for entertainment It's nice to know At least you listen to the show Because it's quite the possibility That nobody is listening to me In this modern world Everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening to my podcast. I really appreciate you took the time to hear what I have to say. Oh, thank you for listening to my podcast. You have millions of choices, and you picked mine. Voices